Reading is just a habit you gotta form in all of life. Books don't change people's sentences. Reading good, solid, reform, Puritan literature, reading, especially the classics, that's had the biggest impact on my life. Well, good day and welcome to a, another Reformers Bookcast. We're here again in a little shop here in the inner west suburbs of Sydney, and it's great to have you with us. Uh, today, we have a special guest with us, James Jeffrey, and uh, we'll, we'll ask him to introduce himself in a moment. My name's Tom Eglinton. I'm the, the manager of Reformers Bookshop. It's good to be with you, and I have my colleague here, Andrew Deligiorgakis, with us. So <laughs> it's good to have you, Andrew. Um, well, why don't, why don't I tell you a little bit, a little something about myself, um, uh, and then Andrew can introduce himself, and James can introduce himself after that. So, uh, as I mentioned, manager here at Reformers, and uh, I guess something exciting would be that I, I had a new baby about four months ago, which is good. It makes us up to four. Uh, so that's a little something about me, Andrew. Yep, so I'm the guy who does the creative stuff at the bookshop. Um, I enjoy being behind the camera, so this is uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and we just had a newborn, um, what, three weeks ago? I don't know how long ago. It's you haven't been, slept since, right? No, no. I'm running about an hour, two hours sleep, so if I fall asleep, then just give me a nudge. No worries. And James, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, uh, I'm married to Zanina Jeffrey. Uh, she's my wife, and I'm also an MTS apprentice over at Cornerstone Presbyterian Church in Rhodes. So I've been uh, there for the past uh, year and a half as an MTS apprentice. Uh, been there since about 2016. I got six months to go until I'm going into full-time Bible college. Great. Uh, what made you want to do MTS? Uh, I wanted to devote myself uh, entirely to the work of the Lord uh, in a vocational way. And I think it's been a wonderful blessing so far just to preach Christ, to love his people, to shepherd them, um, and to be sort of a pathway and a bridge to pastoral ministry. Yeah. Great. And how long have you been married for? Uh, nearly three years. So in oh, December this year, we'll have our three-year anniversary, which is exciting. Fantastic. Yeah. That's good. Uh, well, it's good to have you in. Uh, James has been writing reviews for us for the last uh, couple of months, I think. And so it's good to have you on a, on a, the, the bookcast. Now, today, we, we usually have a topic of a few books that we bring along and, and talk about. Today, the books that we have brought along are all about Jesus. Um, and I think it's so important... Most most people want to read books about um, about problems that they have in their life, and so the Christian life section of a uh, of a bookshop is typically one of the best selling areas, um, followed closely by theology. But inside that category of theology, there are actually not all that many books about Jesus. Um, there's lots of books about the church, lots of books about uh, who God is. Um, and all those sorts of things about the sovereignty of God or what the scriptures are and what they're about. But there's not all that many about Jesus. And th- so we, we think it's a great topic and a very important topic to, to discuss, a very important person to read about. And so that's why we have brought along books about Jesus. Um, so we've each brought a book. And why don't we start with you, James, and you, you tell us a little bit about your book and then we'll, we'll work our way around. Yeah, uh, so this book is called Altogether Lovely. Uh, it's a compilation of Jonathan Edwards's sermons. And the title comes from uh, Robert Murray McShane's quote, the Scottish pastor, who said, uh, for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ mm. because he's altogether lovely. Um, I believe that wholeheartedly from my own life. Uh, it really, it looks at the glory and excellency of Jesus Christ, as the title suggests. Um, and all of these sermons are fixed on the person and work of Christ. 
the different facets of his identity uh, and his work for us. So it's a wonderful read, uh, really edifying and encouraging stuff. Yeah. Were they done as a series that Jonathan Edwards worked through or are they a compilation of all different sermons from across um, the These time? are a compilation of different sermons um, compiled throughout his ministry. Um, and so they span a f- a multiple years of his ministry, actually, from, from my knowledge. Um, but they all focus on different aspects. Um, and you can sort of see his devotional life at different times uh, flowing through to the ser- into the sermons. Yeah. Uh, and reading a sermon sounds pretty boring. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> is, it, is it dry material? Or yeah, how, uh, it might be tempting to think that um, because if you think of just reading a sermon without having the unction and the, um, the power and the pervasiveness of like, what, it, what it's like to be in a church listening to the Word of God preached, um, it can be sort of daunting to think, well, how am I going to read through 10 different sermons? Uh, and yet they've been edited in such a way, and um, Edwards is just that sort of preacher uh, who is so devotional. He's so practical in his application. And so there's never a sermon that you read that you walk away thinking, uh, what relevance does that have to my life? Mm-hmm. They're all deeply uh, influential um, into the heart and the soul of the person uh, listening or reading. And so it's as if you really were there listening to the sermons when he first preached them back in the 1700s. Yeah. Great. Thanks. Um, Andrew, why don't you tell us about the book you've brought along? Yep. So I brought along, along Gentle and Lowly, which is by um, Dane Ortland, who's Chief of Publishing at Crossway, um, also series editor of Knowing the Bible series. Oh, yeah. It's a great um, Bible study series. Um, and it's a book that just looks at the heart of Christ, um, which was a beautiful read. Um, he brings in especially the works of Thomas um, Goodwin, um, Heart of Christ, um, and flesh that out. It's I haven't read much of the Puritans, but um, he brings in a lot of um, those great old theologians um, and their writings, and it's just a warm um, soul. It's a soul warming book um, that lets us see how great the love of Christ is for His people. Mm-hmm. Um, it was encouraging, but it wasn't one of those books that's just full of fluff. It's one that really drives us to the attributes of Christ, which is the attributes of God. Right. Uh, and so we're all together lovely is looking at the, the person and work of Christ sort of theologically. This Is this different to that or is it similar? Yeah, so this is mainly looking at the very hearts of the, the character of Christ. Um, and just very quickly, one of the points that he makes in the book is to say that you know God isn't the tyrant and angry person of the Old Testament. And Jesus is the um, warm, compassionate, merciful one. Because it says, Christ says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Um, Christ is um, one with the Father, um, second person of the Trinity, but um, Christ's heart is the Father's heart. Mm. Um, so it's very much looking at um, the affection of, the, of um, our God for his people. Yeah, beautiful. And we'll, we'll dig more into it, I'm sure. Um, now, my, the book I brought along is Magnificent Obsession, by David Robertson. The subtitle is Why Jesus is Great. And uh, the, the subtitle is riffing off the, this idea that um, of Christopher Hitchens, who, who wrote a, a well-known atheist, who wrote a book um, called God is Not Great. And this is David Robertson's response to that. He's done it in a form of letters to an atheist who is trying to um, convince that, that Jesus is great, where Christopher Hitchens is convincing them that God is not great. Uh, and it's a very apologetic book. So it's looking at the historicity of Jesus. He existed. Um, 
It's looking at the, the fact that his claims to, of who he was are accurate. He was who he says he was. Um, and it's also looking at the fact that Jesus answers those big questions of life. Um, why are we here? Who are we? Uh, what should we do? Those sorts of things. And really um, seeking to present Christ as a compelling answer to all of those things and a reasonable answer to the, all of those questions. Um, and so that's that's magnificent obsession. Um, now what's interesting, you might have picked up as we as we were talking about these different books, that each are coming from a different angle. Uh, so my book's looking at it from a logical, reasonable point of view, arguing that Jesus makes sense. Jonathan Edwards is looking at who Jesus was and what his works were from a theological perspective, and the heart uh, the gentle and lowly is looking at the, the heart of Christ, who Jesus was in, in terms of his desires. Uh, now, guys, what do, what do you think about these different approaches? Um, what do you like about them? What relevancy do you see in coming at it from these different uh, different sides? I, I personally think they're all critical for Christians. Uh, we all need to be well-versed in why we believe in Christ. We need to know um, the historical evidence, I believe. We need to know the reasons for our faith. We need to be able to give a reason for the hope that we have. Um, and yet at the same time, even more important than knowing the reasons is actually knowing the person of Christ. Um, because you can have all the reasons in the world, uh, just like the Pharisees did, and yet if you don't have uh, the pursuit of God in your heart, if you're not pursuing the person of Christ, um, it's all in vain. And so um, Tom and I were speaking before about how uh, Charles Spurgeon once said that God is like a lion in a cage. Um, rather than trying to defend the existence of the lion in the cage by proving it uh, scientifically and everything, you just open the cage and let him out. And so I think that's the same with Christ. Um, there's so much value in just studying the person and work of Christ, uh, not so that we'd know about him, but so that we would know him uh, through his word. And the Bible teaches that uh, the Spirit speaks through the word um, into our hearts, uh, the truths of God and the truths of Christ. And I think that's really what this book does in a fantastic way, um, as I'm sure Gentle and Lowly does as well. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the Reformers, well, mo most theologians picked up the idea that there's two ways that you can know things, one through the book of nature. And so there's this idea of common grace that we can understand things, we can logically think through as humans. Uh, and so, like you say, I think it is, it is important that we have a logical reason for our faith. And so that's where these sort of apologetic books come in. Um, but you're right in that ultimately what's the sword of the Spirit? It's the Word of God, right? Um, and so that's, that is powerful, uh, when you let that out, when you look at what the Bible says about who Jesus is and what he's like, that is so authoritative and so life-changing. Um, you can't just you can't just be logical about it. You have to come at it from Scripture as well. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yeah, and yeah, I think that um, you know, these books are a great reminder of the fact that we can't plumb the depths of our God. We can't fully comprehend Him, but you know, to read book after book that points us back to Scripture and pulls out of Scripture and draws us um, to focus on our God, there's always something new to learn. Um, and I think that's wonderful that there's, um, like just reading this book, you know, there's so many chapters and um, it comes at it from a different perspective of looking at the heart of Christ. Um, and your heart soars more and more as you read, but there's still more. There's still more to come. And if this is just a taste of something for us who haven't seen the physical embodiment of our Lord and Saviour, which we look forward to on that last day, then 
you know, we, we've got some glorious days ahead. Yeah, no, very true, right? We spend our lifetime, you know, getting to know our wives and our friends and they're just finite people how much more um, time and energy and, uh, you know, um, intellect can we devote to knowing the person of Christ and, and the God that we worship, right, for all eternity. Yeah, very true. Uh, and you, you were pointing out before, James, that um, there are many books out there that prove the historicity uh, aspect of Jesus. And so if you haven't read something like that, uh, it's great to get in there and, um, and Magnificent Obsession is a good place to start. But don't stop there. Um, you probably you may well have read something on that, and so we think it's a great idea to get into who Jesus is because, like you mentioned, um, it's one thing to know that, that there's a person who exists somewhere, um, but it's another thing to to be married to them, to That's right, yeah. and to know them intimately, uh, and to love them, and to know what their heart is and what they like and what they dislike and all of those aspects. And there's an infinite amount of evidence that you could be seeking or demanding from God, um, and yet it's so much more worthy to devote our time to knowing that God than constantly seeking to prove him in every sphere. I think um, it, it's sort of like if I went home every day and I was asking my wife, like, how can I trust that the food you've made does not have cyanide in it? How, how can I trust that <laughs> the water you've just given me is not filled with methylated spirits? How, how do I know all these things? And it's some interesting uh, marriage going on. Yeah, right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. Imagine, imagine if that happened, right? Um, it'd be a pretty toxic marriage. Um, <laughs> Well, literally, yeah, <laughs> yeah, literally, yeah. Um, but at some point, I'd have to say, no, your past character, your past works, point me to the reality that you are trustworthy, that you do love me, um, and the the best I can do is actually just invest in getting to know you now and getting to love you more and more every day. So mm. I think that's the same with Christ. Um, a marriage is just a little portrait, a little picture of what Christ's love is like for His church. Yeah, definitely. So. I wonder then, uh, what, what aspects, as you read these, these different books, what aspects of Christ really jumped out at you uh, and drew you in? Um, well, I'll just look at one chapter in particular. It's um, a chapter which is titled, I Will Never Cast Out. Um, and um, Dane Altland spends much of the chapter looking at John Bunyan and his works. Mm. Um, and also um, in John chapter 6, where it says that all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And he just spends a while um, reflecting on that with John Bunyan as well, um, of the heart of our God who um, draws us in and will never cast us away. Um, there's this um, dialogue in there of, you know, but my sin is great, mm. but I will not cast you out. I know um, it's not downplaying the effect of sin, and he there's no emphasis that you get through this book that there's a downplaying of sin and God's anger towards sinners. But it shows that Christ saves to the utmost. He um, saves to the end. He doesn't just um, say that he will save his people and then say, oh, you know what, your sins are a bit too great. They, my blood is insufficient for you. No, it is fully sufficient and we're called to come. To Christ, we're called to um, stay at His feet. Um, he, in one point in the book, looks at um, Mary and Martha, of how you know sitting at Christ's feet um, was um, the place where they should be. Um, and yeah, this book is just a calling to come and um, and commune with Christ mm-hmm. to. 
be in relationship with him. Um, not just the one who's distant, but the one who knows all our struggles and all the temptations and the distance from God in um, those um, hours before his death. Um, and and it's so interesting when you talk about how um, he will never cast out. It's it's that idea that you have when, when you have disobedient children, right? We think that as God's children, when we're disobedient, when we're sinful, that he's going to look on us with disgust um, and that we have to do something in order to sort of get back into his, his good books so that we can commune with him again. Um, often I think it's, it's just that we think, oh, maybe I'll wait a few days and let him calm down, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and we feel better after a few days that we can then go to church again or something like that. But He's readopted me into his family. Yeah, something, <laughs> something odd. Um, but what Dane brings out, it's so it was quite new for me to think through. Is he he actually argues, um, and he's pulling out of the Puritan works. So it's not some crazy idea that that's he's come up with. Is that uh, our sin actually draws Christ in more? And so it's sort of that idea when when you have a disobedient child, um, you don't. Well, I guess some some parents might just leave them, <laughs> leave them to be disobedient and look on them with disgust. But a good parent uh, is actually drawn into that disobedient child to pull them in and talk to them, to discipline them, to uh, pray with them, to to seek to plead with them that they would they would rectify the situation, um, and to pour out their love on that that child so for their own good. And it's not because the child's good that they want to do that it's because it's their child uh, and so that's the same idea with us in christ because we are children of god um got christ's heart god's heart is poured out to us even more so in a sense when we are in sin because the sin is that he actually comes to save he doesn't come to save the well he comes to save the the worst of the worst of sinners here jesus was dining with tax collectors and He's come for us. He's come for us who come lowly. That's right. That's I sense right. a lot of Christians struggle with that that issue of um, feeling so distant from God and feeling like God doesn't love them. Like um, I just know myself so often I'm uh, beating myself up of trying to be holy or trying to be uh, righteous in God's sight and yet he's already won this for me in Christ. Like This is a present reality that's been accomplished for me. Um, and that wonderful passage um, that a bruised reed he will not break mm. in a smoldering wick he will not snuff out it's just such a wonderful reminder which it sounds like that book is just incredible yeah you know and getting you there here yeah um so i I think too it's it's interesting to think about these books and these approaches in terms of um the flow of society and so we mentioned before that there's there's an abundance of books it seems on the apologetic of the fact that jesus existed um but these, these books about who he was in his person and work and looking specifically at him seem to be less abundant. Um, do, you, do you think that... We, how do you think that fits in terms of where our society is at versus where it's been previously? I think um, the society in which we live is a very biblically illiterate society, even within the church. And so it makes sense that a lot of apologetic books are still dominating um, bookstores and also... Um, like issues of our lives are uh, those sort of books that are addressing those central issues rather than fixing our eyes on the person of Christ. Mm. I think ironically 
the solution and the antidote to the societal ills we have at the moment and the biblical illiteracy is not actually to look at more evidence for Christ or to look at how we fix our issues. You know, it's not 10 steps to a better marriage, but it's actually uh, to behold the glory of Christ, to, to look towards him because he is the one who will give rest for our burdened souls. He is the one who will take his, our yoke upon himself. And so ironically, I think the person of Christ is, um, is the most needed um, point of study for our generation now, uh, even for secularists. Um, we've sort of shifted away from the evidentialist, um, modernist struggles of, is God compatible with science? And it's more, uh, is, is God a loving God? Like, how, mm. do I, how do I know God emotionally? You even see this in the surge of Eastern spirituality mm. uh, with people wanting to meditate and do all sorts of things, which from a biblical standpoint are completely irrational. And yet they expose some longing within the human heart to, to know God and to, to fight for something greater. And I think that that's where um, the person of Christ really addresses and fills that void in the in the psyche and the zeitgeist of most people today. Yeah, what's zeitgeist? No, uh, no, no. Zeit- oh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> the the sort of societal um, norm, the status quo, the um the right. inv- the ambience in which we live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think you're exactly right that um, we I think our society has moved away from this rationalistic approach. And so even when you present Christ as historically guaranteed people are still like yeah so what mm. <laughs> like i mean even look at the the whole protests that we're running through at the moment and and in fact most most large scale issues that you see happening in society is a complete disregard for history mm. um, and no one really cares what happened or what the facts are and things like that there's just an emotional reaction to things they want they want the world to be right and yeah. Because it's not, they react emotionally, and so I think I think you're so right that. And it's almost a religious movement, isn't it? It's a religious movement to fight for something something bigger than themselves, yeah. um, and yet ultimately, uh, many of these protesters are fighting against um, systems of justice that might be uh, might be just in some ways, might be just in other ways, but they're ultimately human standards, and so they're never going to be uh, the standard of justice that God demands. And so the, the answer to what they're fighting for is actually not even to be found in this world, but to be found in the person of Christ. That's right. And I mean, C.S. Lewis sort of comes to mind, right? With that great quote, if I find in myself desires, nothing in this world can satisfy. I can only conclude I wasn't made for here. Exactly. Um, and so ultimately what, what are we going to be doing in heaven? Are we, are we going to be fixing societal problems are we going to be dealing with anger? Are we going to be trying to work out how to have a good marriage? Well, no, right? What are we going to be doing? Looking at Christ, glorying in Him, knowing Him more, reveling in, in what He's like and who He is and worshipping Him and singing praises to Him. And so doesn't it just make sense that we, we should be doing more of that now? <laughs> Getting ready, practicing in a sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I, always, um, I pray with my wife that when we die... Uh, whenever the Lord wills, it would be a seamless transition into heaven. Oh, I know, I know that it's not going to be, um, it's not going to be completely seamless. But I want it to be as seamless as possible. I don't want it to be um, a, a steep, um, you know, decline from sin into the glories of Christ. I want it to be a seamless transition where I know the person of Christ, and I'm not surprised to see him on that day. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, and so, obviously, we still have problems though in this life, right? We still have societal problems. We still have human problems that we experience, does looking at Christ fix those as well? <laughs> I, think, I, I, think, I think for a lot of them, 
Uh, I, th- I think for a lot of them, ironically, it does. Um, not looking at the problem, but looking at the person of Christ is what ends up solving the problems because it's, it's sort of like pursuing joy. If you pursue joy, you'll never be joyful. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you pursue money, you'll money, never have enough. Yeah, you'll <laughs> never have enough. Um, if you pursue a good marriage, you just won't have a good marriage necessarily. Uh, but if you pursue Christ, you'll, you'll get all these other blessings. Uh, it's not like prosperity gospel sort of um, thing, but uh, the, the and blessings... All, and all these things shall be added unto you, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I, I do think that knowing Christ and living according to the way he has set for us to live um, is the solution to a lot of these problems. Like if you even just look at the, the issue of fatherlessness in our society, um, the issue of fatherlessness has dramatic effects on crime, on um, you know uh, pregnancy out of wedlock, all these sort of other issues which, um, which lead to disparate life outcomes. Uh, whereas if we return to a biblical vision of the marriage, of the family, um, of what of who Christ is and just looked at him, uh, all of these problems would slowly um, begin to dissipate. It doesn't mean we'd be in a perfect world because sin will never be eradicated until that final judgment day. Um, but it surely would um, remediate a lot of these problems we are seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're down. Yep. One part um, that Dane writes, which I think is really um, a good reflection on our current society where as soon as there's a disagreement, then people that they disagree with are the worst of the worst and to be hated and stones thrown at, um, socially destroyed. Um, He writes in here time and time again, it's the morally disgusting, the socially reviled, the inexcusable and undeserving who do not simply receive Christ's mercy, but to whom Christ most naturally gravitates. He is by his enemies, his testimony, the friend of sinners, Luke 7, 34. Um, When we look at Christ, we see him, um, come to save the worst of the worst. Um, he dwells with those that um, society looks at and says they're undeserving. Christ says yes, and I'm with them. Yes, yeah, as as, as and, alongside them, I'm there. But it's not to yeah. say that he says I accept, um, I accept them for everything that they do. It's like no, no, I accept them regardless. Um, it's not um, their actions that deem them worthy. Far from it, but he still comes with his grace and with his mercy um, and this abundant love to save and to um, retrieve them from the depths of those sins. Um, and I think that we have much to learn even within our Christian circles that when um, brethren wrong us, where it's easy to love people who are lovely. Mm. It's easy to love people when um, they do well by us, but when they wrong us time and time again, it was asked of Jesus, you know, how many times should I um, forgive my brother? And, and his answer is, how many times have you been forgiven, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. Um, I think that if we spent more time looking at Christ, looking at his works, looking at his heart, um, we would be more prepared to forgive um, and know that that forgiveness actually costs, but it won't cost us anywhere near as much as it cost our Lord to save us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know, looking more at Christ and studying him more um, will certainly be a big difference to our society, especially in our churches. And I think the more we look at him, the more we just see we are absolutely impoverished of spirit. We have nothing to offer him. Um, <laughs> I just think to myself, every works-based religion is so obviously man-made because 
if you look at the standards, they're all man-made standards. Whereas if you look at Christ, he is the standard. He is the holiness of God incarnate. And so the more you study Christ, the more you just realize I have no hope of, of ever living a perfect life. Um, if there was any hope, I've destroyed it. But Christ is enough. He is the one who fills my every brokenness, my every need. Um, and he is the one who has secured me a place in eternity with the Father, which I think is a wonderful and assuring reality for us, right? Yeah, and I, th- I think it's interesting too in terms of thinking about the problems that we face um, that two, two main root sort of issues come to mind in terms of the problems we have to deal with. One is conflict, which you see at broad scale and small scale, right? You see protests where there's multiple sides facing off against each other and you see um, relational conflicts between friends or, or married marriage partners, etc. Um, and then the other side is there's worship problems i'm trying to get something out of some created thing that i could only get out of christ and so Mm. you have um, people getting angry because they can't have what they want or people lusting after something because they think that that's going to bring them the pleasure and christ fixes both of those things right because if you're side by side with someone looking at christ um, and you're looking at the same christ and worshiping him even if you have minor disagreements you you're in unity in in that action of worship of of Christ. And again, if you have worship issues, well, look at Christ. You'll find in him all all the pleasures of that you could imagine, all the loveliness, all the glory, and you can you can worship him from for eternity and you'll never plumb the depths. And so yeah, you're right. We're all worshippers, right? We're all made to worship. We are made in the image of God and so um the best thing we can be worshipping is the true image of God, which is the person and work of Christ. Yeah. And what a wonderful place to end, I think. So thanks for joining us on the Reformers Bookcast. Pick up a book about Jesus. Uh, read about him, worship him, glory in him, and you think you'll find your heart will be better off. <laughs>